Amen. All right. We're continuing our series in 1 Corinthians today. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, and let me read this first, the first part to you. The first, let's look at the first two verses as we're starting off here. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Okay. So I read that just normal. Because that's just normal reading Bible, right? But that's not how I hear it in my head. Okay? So I'm going to do it how I hear it in my head. Because Paul dictated these letters. Like we believe that Paul... Paul dictated most of these letters, meaning that he was like walking around just saying this stuff and someone's there just like scribing it down, right? There's a scribe who's writing it all down. So here's how I think Paul did it as he's reading this part. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Okay? I read, I don't know, maybe that's not how you read it. Okay? But that's how I hear it, because there seems to be a lot of intensity. It seems like Paul's like really, he's coming out the gate intense, and you got to remember that we're not, uh, we're, we're breaking this up because there's a lot in it, but it's a letter, right? Paul wrote it all at the same time. It's not like he was like, all right, chapter nine, how should I start? Am I not free? Right? No, that would be a weird way to start, right? No, he's continuing his thought from last week. And last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, which starts with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 starts with... Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Right? And he's, talk, he's talking about food offered to idols. And he, he breaks down a, an argument in this passage where he's saying that eat, eating meat sacrificed to idols is not sin to those who don't have a history with idol worship. But that eating meat sacrificed to idols would be sin to those who are convicted that they shouldn't eat it, mostly due to their history of idol worship. And that those who are free to eat meat should be willing to surrender their rights in order not to harm those who are not free to eat meat. He ends with this in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. He's giving them this very difficult charge where he says that he is willing to surrender his right to eat meat. He's willing to resort to vegetarianism, and he's encouraging others to do the same for the sake of their weaker brothers and sisters in Christ, to not harm them. He's saying you should be willing to surrender that right. And what he's going to do in this passage, and what he's starting with here, because he's coming out, that's, it, it reminds me, this, the beginning of this passage reminds me of, and I've never seen the movie, um, but you guys know the movie Gladiator? Even if you don't know, the, if you've never seen the movie, which I haven't, by the way, is what I'm saying. But I know this clip, I remember this, this clip of, uh, of Russell Crowe going, are you not entertained? You know that part? And I, this will be the last time I yell today. Just, <laughs> are you not entertained? You know that part? He says that a couple times. And I've never seen it. I've seen that clip a bunch because it's like this famous moment in the movie. But I assume that something big happened right before it. That he's like coming out that hot. And, and that's what we see here. Paul is referencing this charge that he's given them that like, hey, 
you have every right to eat meat sacrificed to idols, but I'm going to charge you and challenge you to give up that right, to surrender that right for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he's giving them this difficult charge. And today, we're going to see him demonstrate how that willingness to surrender his rights is a principle that flows through the rest of his life. And most specifically, he's going to demonstrate it by explaining his willingness to give up his right to be paid. So we'll see it here first. We'll look at verses 1 through 7. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Okay, so he, he's just like, he's doing oops, all rhetorical questions in this passage, right? It's all, he's posing all of these questions. So I'm going to reframe it a little bit as we go, just as statements. So first off, Paul says, am I not free? Yeah, Paul is free. All right, he, Paul is free. Yes, Paul, you are free. Because he understood in mind and heart the freedom that was to be found in the gospel. He understood that in Christ we have been set free from the law of Moses, that we've been set free from sin, that we've been set free from the fear of death. We see this in his other letters, like in Romans chapter 8, 1 through 4, where he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So in the most direct context, what he is saying here is he is free to eat meat sacrificed to idols. The question he's posing to those who understand that freedom is, what will you do with your freedom? Second statement is, am I not an apostle? Yes, Paul is an apostle. Paul is an apostle, but this question is a little bit more complicated than the question, is Paul free? Because apostles are those who are eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. Apostles led the early church and they wrote scripture, or at least they were the, the source material for scripture. So we talk about like the gospel of Mark, for example. Mark isn't an apostle, but his sort, he's writing essentially Peter's words. He's essentially writing Peter's account of the gospel. All of the gospel accounts and all of scripture is written, all of the New Testament is written by apostles. But Paul is different than the other apostles, the other 11 apostles, right? The apostles um, are the 11 disciples, because we subtract Judas out of there. So they become the apostles. And after the ascension, after the ascension of Christ, but before the, uh, receiving the Holy Spirit, the 11 disciples make uh, the decision to appoint Matthias as the 12th apostle. But some people question the validity of this because they had not received the Holy Spirit, right? And it's a weird, it's in Acts chapter 1. Our community groups looked at it this week. Um, in Acts chapter 1, they haven't received the Holy Spirit. Jesus has ascended, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. 
And they're kind of sitting around. They're like, well, we should replace Judas, right? Because we got the 11 of us, but like that's an odd number. We should make it even. So let's appoint somebody who's been around like we've been around. And they put two candidates forward and they cast lots and it falls to Matthias. So they go, okay, Matthias is an apostle. You're the 12th one. Good job. But then we never hear from Matthias again. He doesn't do anything else in the book of Acts. He's totally, just not active. And then Paul pretty clearly becomes an apostle. So then do we count Matthias or not? Some people say that he counts and there's just 13. Some people say he doesn't count because they were just, this is just another example of Peter jumping the gun. He certainly has a reputation for jumping the gun. And so, hey, he jumped the gun and Paul's actually the 12th apostle. So whether you count Matthias or not, it doesn't really matter. But it's interesting to think about. Or maybe it's not interesting. That's up to you. <laughs> Paul's comment that if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, holds true. Right? Some people might not have considered Paul an apostle at the time. It depends on wit, at what point in, in Paul's ministry this was true. Because when Paul came to Christ... He didn't come in the normal way, and so they, and he was persecuting the church before that. So they had some like healthy skepticism of what Paul was up to until they saw what he had done. So he's saying at this point, yeah, maybe not everybody thinks I'm an apostle, but at least I'm an apostle to you. He clearly had proved himself to the Corinthians. He functioned as an apostle in their midst. Right? So if you're using another example like within the church, we have the leadership team meeting uh, uh, we have the annual meeting tonight. We're going to vote on leadership team members. There are, we're going to vote on elders and deacons, and we'll have them. They'll be official elders and deacons, right? We'll get them their tattoo. No, not really. But they'll be, you know, they're labeled the official elders and deacons of Discovery Hills Church. But there are other people in the church who function much in the same way that someone who is a deacon or an elder would function. Or they just live that way. They have that kind of maturity, that Christian maturity. They have that kind of natural leadership. And even though if they don't have a role, they might function as one of those roles in your life. Even though they don't have the official title, they might be to you that you, you know, have some spiritual question, you have some issue, you might go to them for help because they function that way in your life. So they are an elder to you even if they don't hold that official title. And that's what we see Paul saying here. He's saying, listen, I might not, I might not be an official apostle to everybody, but at least I am to you because I function as, a, as an apostle in your midst. Furthermore, Paul was qualified to be an apostle because he had seen the resurrected Christ. He had seen Jesus. And it was in a unique way because he didn't walk with Jesus during his earthly ministry, but the resurrected Christ had appeared to Paul. In Acts chapter 22, Paul goes to this man after he's blinded on the road to Damascus, and this is what this man tells him. He says, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. This man tells Paul, before it's happened, that he's going to see Jesus, that's the righteous one, He's going to see the righteous one, and he's going to hear a voice from his mouth. He's going to interact with the resurrected Christ. Paul testifies to this in Galatians chapter 1, where he says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ appeared to Paul and told him the gospel. He had interacted with the resurrected Christ. Because obviously there was hardly any options for him to actually receive the gospel from a man anyway. Right? If he had been hunting the church and locking them up and persecuting them, uh, then he could hardly have gone up to one of them and said, like, you know, hey, could you tell me about the gospel? Could you tell me about Jesus? Those guys would have run for the hills, right? They would have like, yeah, right, I'm not falling for your trap, Paul. No, they would take off, right? So he received it directly from Jesus. He had uh, been stopped on the road to Damascus. He received the gospel from Ananias. He spent three years in Arabia and Damascus, presumably learning from and growing in Christ and seeing the resurrected Christ. And then he spent 15 days in Jerusalem meeting with Cephas and James. And then 14 years later, he finally went to Jerusalem and met with the church leaders. He received it directly from Jesus. And the Corinthians then are Paul's workmanship. They are proof that he is an apostle. He had planted the church in Corinth. They were literally the result of the work that he had done for the gospel in Corinth. And as such, they were his seal of his apostleship. He proved his apostleship by creating this church, by coming and preaching the gospel to a place that had never been preached before and planting a church. Nobody had heard the gospel before he got to Corinth. And then when he left, there was a church there. He's saying, you are my proof. It'd be like this, if you, if you like... Say you weren't, uh, you, you weren't trained as a plumber, but you were like just into it. And you like learned all about it that you could from like the internet and you got some books and everything. You learned all the things of plumbing. And then someone was building a house and you say, hey, can I do, could I put in all the plumbing in the house? Okay. And then you went and did it and it was all perfect. Like it was to code and it all worked and it was all functioning and it was like everything. There were no problems, no leaks, nothing. It worked. Then if someone came up to you and said, like, well, you're not a plumber, though. Like, yeah, you, what are you talking about? You're not a plumber. You go, like, come see my house. I did all the plumbing in this house. You can inspect it all you want. This is my proof. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, yeah, you, you know, say I'm not an apostle. Look at my church. Look at Corinth. Look at these churches that I've planted. I've come and I, I've done these things. Paul is an apostle. They are the proof that he's an apostle. So then Paul is going to establish his rights. He says, listen, I have a right to eat and drink, right? I have a right to, to provide for my basic needs. And, and, and he establishes in 2 Thessalonians that, that anyone who works has the right to eat. Even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Paul has a right to provide for his basic needs. He also has the right to take along a believing wife, right? Paul had chosen to remain celibate. But he's saying, I have a right to take along a believing wife. Peter does it. The brothers of Jesus do it. James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, has a, has a wife that he brings along with him. All the other apostles have believing wives that, that they bring along with them. I don't exercise that right, but I have every right to do that. It's important that he establishes this because, um, because the celibacy thing was very popular among those who were pious in Corinth. And so they might have looked at him and gone, like, see, all... All apostles, all church leaders should be this way. They shouldn't be married. They should be celibate. Paul's saying, no, I have a right just like everybody else does. And it's a good thing he establishes this right because otherwise some church tradition could say like, hey, yeah, all ministers should be celibate and not have wives. Wouldn't that be crazy if there were some churches that did that? 
He also, he also establishes that, that he said, do, do, are Barnabas and I the only ones who have to work for a living? Right? He has this line about, are we the only ones that have to work for a living? Paul and Barnabas worked for a living. Paul was a tent maker wherever he went. We see this in Corinth. In Acts chapter 18, when he came to Corinth, so this is after Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come along come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So Paul supported himself through his work as a tent maker, but he preached the gospel for free. But he's making the case that his self-support should be the exception, not the rule for those who commit themselves to ministry full-time. And he provides these examples. is that soldiers uh, are paid and equipped, that farmers eat some of their produce, that shepherds, goat herds, cow herds drink some of the milk that's produced by their flocks and herds. And he's going to provide more examples here in this next section. We'll look at verses 8 through 14. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope, the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If, you have sown, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. So Paul's making this claim, making this argument for this right. But he's going to argue that this isn't a new concept, that the law of Moses actually speaks to this reality. And he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, which says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. So they would use ox to, 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 oxen to, to tread out the grain, to, to grind it up. And he's saying when they're doing that, you don't muzzle them. They should be able to eat some of that grain that they're treading out. That, that, that's in the Bible. Okay, and it's not quoted out of context either. So if we look at this verse, it kind of stands on its own in the middle of chapter 25, Deuteronomy chapter 25. Before it, verses 1 through 3, um, is all about um, having, uh, making sure that punishments that involve whipping um, are limited to 39 lashes so as not to kill the person. That you can whip them almost to death, but not all the way. Okay, that's verses 1 through 3. Then we got this one. Then verses 5 through 20 are a provision uh, for if a man dies, his brother is obligated, his unmarried brother is obligated to marry his wife to carry on his family line. And if he, if, if, uh, he refuses, um, she can take his sandal and spit in his face. And then he should be known forever as the man who has his sandal removed. That's real. You can check it for yourself. What a weird chapter of the Bible. 
Okay, like, listen, don't beat everyone almost to death. Don't muzzle your ox, oxen while they're treading out the grain. And, uh, and, and if a man won't marry his brother's wife, take his shoes and spit in his face. Okay? That's in the Bible. That, that's what, the, chapter 25 is wild of Deuteronomy. What Paul points to then is what's the purpose of this law about oxen, right? He's, he's probably like everybody else who's read these verses who studied the, the law of Moses, studied the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, he's probably like, okay, why, why do we have this verse about oxen? And his argument is, it's not just about oxen. It's an example about how we should live in all of life. That like, hey, that oxen, they should be able to eat some of the food from the work that they're doing. They should be able to eat some of it. They shouldn't be muzzled like that. And that that should apply across other things. So that, for example, if someone is uh, picking fruit, they're, they're working and harvesting, picking fruit, they should be able to eat some of that fruit if they're going to work and do that. And he says, similarly, it was written for our sake. That this law of oxen, while it certainly should apply to human laborers, such as farmers, it should also apply to those who commit to do ministry full time. His question is, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? And what he's really posing them is a, a question of value. He's saying, do we view spiritual things, our salvation, our sanctification, as having more value than material things? He certainly seems to think that it, they do. Paul also notes that he and Barnabas are not the only ones who share in this claim, right? He says, we're not the only ones who, who share this claim. If others share this rightful claim on you, do we even more? As noted earlier, Apollos had also ministered in Corinth and presumably others. And presumably from what Paul's writing, they, they did benefit from this. Paul also uses the Old Testament sacrificial system as an argument. He says that Levitical priests did not work outside of the temple. And the same principle should apply here, that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, 17, he says something similar where he says, let the elders who rule well be considered double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. But Paul and Barnabas did not exercise this right. right? He's establishing all of these things. He's saying, listen, I have all of these rights. I have the right to provide for myself. I have the right to take along a believing wife. I have the right to, be, to, to make my living from the gospel from those that I preach the gospel to, that if I sow spiritual things, I should be able to reap material things, that people should support me just like they supported those, who, uh, those priests who worked in the temple. He establishes all these things, but he didn't want the... He, because even though he didn't exercise this right, he, didn't want, he wanted that to be the exception for all those who come after him laboring for the sake of the gospel. He wrote it for me, to be clear. That's what we're saying here. And, and I'm so glad that he did because like, this is a pretty awkward message for me to preach. No? Right? I mean, someone might have thought at some point like, oh, this is weird that Chris is talking to us about this. That the guy who stands up here and preaches the gospel is then saying like, hey, look, the Bible says that those who preach the gospel should get their living from the gospel. It's a little bit weird. But it's, it's a lot easier for me because Paul wrote it and I, I mean, in general, it's easy for me to preach because I just preach what's in the Bible. And, and that's where we're at in 1 Corinthians today. And so 
Paul is making this argument for all those who would come after him that this should be the, that, that not being, not making your living from the gospel should be the exception, not the rule. Just because he didn't exercise this right doesn't mean he wanted everybody else to do that. We'll see her continuing in verses 15 through 18. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have someone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For I preach, if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make, any, make full use of my right in the gospel. So Paul really revels in his, in his uh, surrendering of these rights. He's saying this because he had, in the previous chapter, encouraged the Corinthians to be willing to surrender their right to eat meat for the sake of their weaker brothers and sisters. But he says essentially, like, hey, you know what's good enough for me is that I get to brag about this. Like, he's like, I, I would rather not be paid because it's my ground for boasting. Like, my ground for boasting is that I, that I, don't, I don't make use of these rights. Because I don't make use of these rights, I get to brag about it. That's what, that's what I get instead. Because he says, I, I can't brag about just preaching the gospel because I have no choice. It's an internal compulsion. It's a necessity for him. We see this repeated through his letters in Romans chapter 1, 15. He says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who also who are in Rome. 15, Romans fifteen twenty. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work done, already done in another's area of influence. Paul had this internal compulsion to go and preach the gospel and to preach at places where it had never been preached before. This was his heart's desire and of course, all Christians are called to preach the gospel, to be witnesses of what Jesus has done. We see this in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus uh, is about to ascend. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Gospel spreads through Christians. We are the messengers. Paul's ground for boasting is he does not take full advantage of his rights to make a living from the gospel. And he notes that he, he presents it free of charge. And of course, the gospel should always be free of charge, right? It is free. We, we do present it free of charge because the gospel is free. What Paul is arguing here is that even after believers have accepted the gospel, he does not take support from the churches that he has started. And that, he says, is unique. That on behalf of everyone who will lead the church after him, it should be normal to pay those who lead the church. Because doesn't, Paul doesn't take full advantage of his rights, his reward is that he gets to brag about it. We'll wrap up with this, three takeaways for today's message. Number one, rejoice in your freedom in Christ. Right? Recognize the freedom, the great freedom that we have because Jesus died for us. Because he died for us and paid the penalty for our sins, but then he also rose again on our behalf that we might have a new life. He's given us the Holy Spirit that we might be renewed from the inside out. That is incredible 
freedom that we have, that we are free from sin, that we are free from the fear of death, that we're free from the law even. But also be willing to surrender your rights. Just because we have that freedom, just because we have these rights in Christ doesn't mean we have to exercise them, that we are, be, can be willing to surrender those rights when it is beneficial to someone. Like, like Paul's example of not eating meat sacrificed to idols. And then lastly, support those who dedicate their life to ministry. That's really Paul's main argument in this passage is this should be normal. He doesn't exercise those rights. We should be willing to sacrifice our rights. But we have freedom in Christ. We're going to remember that freedom right now. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. And then afterwards, we're going to take communion and remembering Jesus' sacrifice for us. After that, we'll sing one final song. And then there will be a, a prayer team available right over here. If you'd like prayer for anything, they would love to pray for you. Um, there's still some refreshments in the courtyard um, and lots of info on the information table. Check that out. Um, would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, we do thank you that in Christ we are truly free. There is no condemnation. We are free from the law. We are free from sin. We are free from the fear of death because Jesus died for us and rose again. But I pray that in response to that, out of the joy that we feel in that, out of the, the love that we have experienced and our desire to please you, that we would be willing to lay down our rights when, when it is beneficial. I'd be willing to, um, to do only that which would build up others build up our brothers and sisters in Christ, do that which would help us to reach the lost with the love that we have experienced, with the grace that they so desperately need. Pray these things in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen.